This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today, incredibly fortunate, which I say regularly, but in this case, we have Jim Sugarman. He's the co-founder of the nonprofit 4Gen Now. Jim, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come by and visit. Bob, great to be with you. Super. Well, Jim, tell us a little bit about 4Gen Now and who you serve. You bet. Before Gen Now, we're an international, intergenerational community of entrepreneurs, 1,600 at last count, from about 35 states, 23 countries. And our community members are looking to find an intergenerational business partner to launch a startup. That's who we are. We're also a nonprofit awaiting a 501c3 status. So our targeted market are 16.2 million solopreneurs independent entrepreneurs, according to a survey from MBO Partners uh, out of Virginia, there are 16.2 million full-time solopreneurs. And as you probably know, and your listeners probably know, only 20% of them will be successful their first go-around. They need help. So 4Gen Now is about helping solopreneurs find their intergenerational business partner so they have a higher probability of success and also a higher probability of funding. That's who we serve. I think about that. And so I'm out there and I'm this lonesome entrepreneur. And, you know, either they're in my generation's baby boomers or any of the other three generations to go, that sounds interesting. So how would I find one of these organizations? Great question. And this is the how-to of 4Gen now. So we have a platform designed to connect, match, and fund intergenerational entrepreneurs, specifically through face-to-face meetup chapters around the U.S. We have 21, we have five overseas, and in the U.S., our flagship uh, meetup chapter is in Denver. For some of the other meetups and groups and so on, so how's the local chapter organized? Right. So we have uh, two co-organizers in the local Denver chapter, and they co-organize or they host monthly meetups. And every monthly meetup will have a different theme to it. It will have a guest speaker. And, for example, this coming uh, April, uh, the end of this month, uh, we'll have a meetup whereby four different generations will talk about challenges of working together to find their business partner, and once they have found it, challenges to overcome to make their intergenerational startup succeed. How long has the organization been in operation? That's a great question. Uh, Formally, I should say just since January, we just formed as an educational nonprofit in the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts and waiting 501c3 status, hopefully from the IRS, within the next month or two. And so you started in January, and you've got 1,600 members already? Well, uh, it was uh, under a different name brand, so uh, to continue to be transparent, I'd say this has been a labor of love for about a year and a half now, Mm part-time, full-time, just since January. To drill down a little bit, let's talk a little bit about your background and what brought you to be so passionate about what you're doing. Well, as my wife reminds me, I'm a dreamer. I tried to extract the best from that by organizing trade shows and special events. That's my primary background, or at least that's what it has been for about 15 years now, both for myself in the U.S. and for five years living in Hong Kong. But 
the reason or what got me into this was I read an article that changed my life. 2015, I read an article from the Kauffman Foundation, a well-known think tank based in Kansas City that advocates on behalf of entrepreneurship. The study showed how counterintuitively from basically the last 40 years that the number of startups as a percentage of U.S. businesses has actually declined by 44%. I read this article, scratching my head, how can this be? More research, and I learned that not only did this Kauffman Foundation publish the report, but the head of entrepreneurship, Victor Wang, coined a term in his testimony before Congress last year. He calls the fact that we're creating too few startups with too many failures as America's entrepreneurship deficit. Our entrepreneurship deficit that has led to declining productivity, declining wages, and a lower quality of life, according to the Kauffman Foundation. This article, that study that I read in December 2015, changed my life and I guess is the reason why we're chatting right now with your guests. There's so many different ways to go. You know, and I think about after reading the Kauffman Foundation and you go, so was there a demographic that had greater success than another demographic? Again, counterintuitively, the Kauffman Foundation showed that for the last 15 years or so, the number of startups by baby boomers, those in the 50 plus range, exceeded the number of startups of millennials. So the initial outreach in terms of the customers or the market served, I approached were baby boomers. In fact, the first iteration of 4Gen Now was called Millennial and Baby Boomer Co-Founders. There's a lot of anxiety amongst baby boomers, let alone a lot of wealth being transferred from baby boomers to their millennial children and Gen Z grandchildren, that they're on the surface, not much similarities between the two, but if you dig down a little bit, there are many compatible, many similarities between those two generations. So I started with millennials and boomers and then found dynamic collaborative between Gen Z and Gen X. When you get those groups together, what are the key characteristics that the generations bring to the table that are either complementary or in conflict? Right. A complementary, the visionary and the idealism of we baby boomers, the tech savviness and get to the point of the millennial and Gen Zs, and the efficiency and the result metrics of the Gen Xers. So the values in terms of starting and running a profitable business are common. That is a common goal. The skill sets are unique and complementary. What is most in conflict are the communication styles. I could see that. You know, tone deaf in the uh, parent range, maybe. And also the modes of communication. We boomers, or at least speaking as a boomer, I prefer face-to-face. Secondarily, a phone. Thirdly, an email. Fourth, text. Whereas Gen Zs, it's probably just the opposite. So how do you take such radically different generations and somehow create, through that creative, how do you create collaborative dynamic between that creative tension, so to speak. That's the joy. That's the journey that I'm on, trying to bring that to our community members. As a for example, do you have a for example that's on the front range of Colorado? I do. And so interesting that you asked, Bob. I just came from a meeting with the millennial co-founder of Tone Technologies. Tone Technologies, I met with the millennial co-founder 
and he was sharing his story for a half an hour, how he met his baby boomer co-founder. And they are in the process of raising funding, but he shared with me some of the problems from a communication perspective that he and his boomer co-founder had to work through. But the reason why they've been successful in his terms, because they bring very different complementary skill sets to the table. The boomer is a coder, a tech genius. The millennial is a business operational sales and marketing business development person. Great complementing uh, each other. And I would have thought that would have been the other way around. How many boomers are coders? I guess the old Cisco guys are kind of around. Right. You know? Right. Fascinating. So as you go through this process, and before I forget, how do folks find you on social media? Awesome. Thanks for the question. Uh, we are at 4Gen now, and that stands for Four Generations Now. It's the number 4GENNOW.com. So you can check us out there and also through the meetup platform in 26 cities. But by going to the 4GENNOW.com site under our community section, you'll see a list of all the 26 meetups that we have. And interested folks can just click on and attend a meetup and or subscribe to our newsletter and we'll invite them to join one of our regular webinars. And so for the resource for either the boomer or the millennial or Gen Z or Gen X, oh, I got them all. You got them all. Got them all. What types of resources and where do they find them do you guys offer? Yeah, and we're just rolling out a revised business plan or business model. And, and basically, the 4Gen Now platform, I look at 4Gen Now and my role as the ambassador for the concept of intergenerational entrepreneurship. This is what 4Gen Now is leveraging, bringing four generations of entrepreneurs together to meet, connect, get to know, and launch startups together. So from a resource perspective, we offer both online and offline resources or ways for our community members to interact. For example, online webinars. We're rolling out under development right now a matching application. So in the very near future, our members, wherever they may be around the world, can, for a very nominal fee of $10 a month, be able to reach out on an unlimited capacity to other members in the community to see if perhaps they might be suitable business partners. From an offline perspective, we presently offer the meetups in 26 cities and summits both here in the U.S. and overseas. And our U.S. Celebration Summit face-to-face event where we bring our community together from an educational perspective. We have pitch sessions. We have guest speakers, intergenerational experts. We have angel investors talking about why they prefer investing in startups with intergenerational co-founders. They're held right now once a year, and our 2018 version will be in Denver on October 12th. For the folks listening and go like, I don't, they, they search and there's not one in their community and they want to start one. What are the qualifications mm-hmm. and how do they get signed up to start a community? Yeah, the qualifications, the only qualification is their passion. And, of course, a reputable ethical perspective of genuinely wanting to communicate and work with other intergenerational entrepreneurs. So if the interest is there, all they need to do is to contact me, and I will work with them to give them the appropriate agenda. And by using the meetup apparatus, it's very, very simple how to communicate with other members and how to invite them to the monthly meetups and I work real closely with our co-organizers. So anyone who's out there 
in a city in which there's presently no meetup, not to worry. If you're interested, we'll make it happen. Yeah, I was thinking with 35 cities, we've got a few left to fill up. <laughs> you were talking about the meetup apparatus. Is it a, an application or is it something that goes on online? How's that work? Right. All online. It's a relatively friction-free way for members in the community, for anyone online to find an area of interest and then sign up and then be invited to, quote, a meetup. So we work, interestingly enough, the ubiquitous international uh, co-working space. At the end of last year, they ended up acquiring the meetup platform. Makes sense. Yep, it does. So uh, it's a very easy, simple, and free way for people to find an interest, a topic that interests them, and then engage face-to-face with other like-minded individuals. So if it was a perfect outcome for you, where would you see this organization in the next two to three years? Great. The metrics that I would like for Gen Now to be evaluated on are three. Number one, the number of intergenerational teamed startups that are formed, not just in the U.S., but in Europe. Number two, the number of intergenerational startups that flourish after five years. And number three, the number of jobs created. Because of the entrepreneurship deficit that I alluded to earlier, we're creating too few jobs too many failures in the U.S., and similarly, in Europe, there's a huge unemployment problem amongst the youth aged 15 to 24, over 6 million youth in the EU that are either unemployed or not involved in any vocational educational training, and similarly, in the EU, they have, for the 50-plus generation, they're looking for uh, new ways to stay engaged in the economy. So I would like, in two years, that let's just say they're I'll just throw out a number that we have a hundred, a hundred intergenerational teamed startups that have formed legal registration from a corporate perspective. And number two, that they're in the process of building a product, building a service or bringing a service to market. And we'll have to evaluate the metrics in five years just to see the number of jobs created because of this new dynamic. Is there a study that dis- that talks about the chief reasons for failure on the boomer versus the, the millennial? I'm not sure if there's a study from a generational perspective for failure, but CB Insights, uh, the well-known uh, research firm, on an annual basis, they come out with the top 20 reasons why startups fail. Mm-hmm. The number one reason is bringing the wrong product or service to market. Basically, the product does not have a, there's no market need. The number two reason for startup failure, according to CB Insights, their 2016 report, is the company running out of cash. The third reason they cite is having the wrong team. But therein, I beg to differ. Uh, As an entrepreneur, I think that is 100% wrong. The number one reason, in my opinion, why startups fail is because of the wrong team is in place. With the right team, they would bring the right product or service to market. With the right team, they would not run out of cash. So I contend. You know, I think about all of the components, and I've started a number of businesses myself. And so, you know, a great deal of those topics resonate. And and I think for many in my particular generation, there's a great deal of intimidation, perhaps on the advance of technology and the ability to use technology to communicate one to many. And so... It's an interesting approach for you guys. So shifting gears here a little bit, this is the part of the podcast 
where I try to take in and extract every single ounce of wisdom that I can from you, you know, in a pleasant way. That won't take long. Yeah. <laughs> Short podcast. So, for you know, looking back over, what's the most recent book or influential mm-hmm. book that's altered your perception on being the founder of this organization or how you run the business? I think perhaps it is, I'd have to say, Ken Dykewalt's book on uh, the greatest, uh, the generational wealth transfer that we're involved with right now, even though that book, I think he wrote that in the late, mid-80s. That has a big impact on me. But I'd also have to say, and of course the name escapes me right now, but Amy Lynch, who's our intergenerational expert, and she serves on the board of advisors. She's a well-known author, uh, Generational Edge. Amy puts out a lot of, publishes a lot of white papers in terms of what it takes to create generational harmony in the workforce. So as I alluded to earlier, Bob, there really has not been much written about this concept of intergenerational entrepreneurship. It's on my to-do list to write a book. You know, it, it strikes me way back of the apprentice system. Hmm. And, you know, when you think about the skill of the master and the enthusiasm of the apprentice, you know, both with different skill sets, one requires the other. And I think about this approach to bringing those skill sets together, you kind of go, what was new is old or vice versa. And so it makes a lot of sense to bring those meeting, was it the uh, collective wisdom of the crowd together? Right. And, you know, I think to your point, it's very easy to see the differences and the gaps when trying to unite the generations, but it doesn't really take too much digging into the weeds to find a lot of commonalities. And just to use that apprentice mentor, uh, apprentice analogy, one of our colleagues talks about bi-directional mentoring. So it's just not from season to inexperience, it's both ways. It's bi-directional because we boomers getting back to an earlier topic or question that you raised it's not that we are resistant to new technology it just takes at least i'm speaking for myself a little bit longer but we are open to learning in a way that we can understand think back to my college days there was a computer on campus i think about with the rapid pace of change in the the social media space I think it's not so much that the boomers may not be able to learn it, but there's a lot to know. And I think some of this kind of grown up around that might have an edge. They do. And for those Gen Z and millennials, uh, they too, they don't have the school of hard knocks. They don't have the life experiences and the wisdom that the uh, successes and failures have given. They don't have that skill set. They don't have that perspective. So while we boomers, at least this one here speaking now, lacks the technology, the tech savviness, we bring other very, very important skill sets to the table that are integral to a successful startup. Well, maybe that segues nicely into the next question. What failure, or at the time, apparent failure, has served you or your company best or set you up for future achievement and why? Great question. That's a no-brainer. I have 324,000 reasons or ways that I can answer that, which is the amount of money that I lost by investing or by collaborating with the wrong business partner. I alluded to this article that I read in 2015 by the Kauffman Foundation that changed my life. Something else about the same time that changed my life was selecting the wrong business partner who happened to have been a boomer 
and I realized that we were too similar. And regretfully, that partnership didn't work out. So was it a failure from a financial perspective? It was a living nightmare. However, from an opportunity perspective, with what I learned, basically in that like-minded, to use a cliche, uh, like-minded teams really tend to maintain and diverse teams innovate. The lesson that I learned very painfully was if the two founders, if the co-founders are too similar in terms of perspective, in terms of outlook, in terms of experience, and there's not enough dissimilarity, there's a high probability that it will not work out. That I can attest to. Nothing like paying a little tuition along the way. You know, if you could put an ad on page one of the local paper sharing your message or advice, what would it say and why? For Gen Now, if you want to start a company, have at least two other co-founders and find those co-founders either half your age or twice your age. That would be the message. Don't do it alone. Have a minimum of three co-founders to the team and get your product and service out there as quickly as possible, deploying the MVP or the minimal viable product. With that being said on finding co-founders, so first level thought is, yeah, there's different experience levels. Are there other things that play into having more than just a single founder as a benefit? Well, investors prefer angel-backed deals, according to an angel resource publication, they prefer investing in startups with at least two co-founders, 52% over 48% of solopreneurs. So from the angel investors, and that's basically the primary funding for startups, is most startups we know, 80% of them are from their own pockets, and the rest are from family and friends. Angels fill that void. Angels are the one funding it. Angels are saying to independent entrepreneurs, find a business partner. This is what they're saying. And I'm sorry, Bob, but repeat the second part of your question. No, I think that, that pretty much covered it because the ancillary benefit is if you're looking for funding, they're looking for a diverse founder base. Precisely. And, yeah, and talk about the optimal number of co-founders being three, we point to Facebook, Apple, and YouTube as the three exemplary companies that have started with the optimal number of three. There's a value. Three legs to the stool instead of one. What's the best allocation either of time or initiative that's helped you or your company most and why? I think it's uh, just getting in front of face-to-face meetups with our members, with our members from the four generations, be they in their teens or 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s. Uh, At our recent summit in Denver in 2017, November, we had a little over 200 attendees. Our least season was 13, and our most season was 88. Just to be in front of them, to be around a table together and asking them what are their problems as entrepreneurs? What are they looking for? What do they struggle with most? Just learning that and then creating uh, solutions in our platform to serve them, that's certainly the most beneficial use of my time. For you, if somebody said, what is your most unusual habit or what other may others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you or your company most? I think it's, uh, my wife would say, because she knows me best after 30 years now, I think it's just telephoning. It's actually speaking. 
My preference as a boomer is always to be face-to-face. Secondarily, it's to talk on the phone. Because even though I'm guessing that many of the millennials and the Gen Zs and maybe some Gen Xers, they're multitasking during a phone conversation, at least I know that there's some buy-in from their attention. I mean, we are talking on the phone. And I just think I'm willing and able to talk with anyone that has an interest in this topic. That's It's the most time-consuming, but it's the most enlightening. It's how I learn the most about how to serve our community. Do you do much in the way of Zoom or any of the other... uh... A little bit of Zoom or webinars. I'm certainly not as experienced uh, as I'm learning, Bob, that you and your network are and that you are. But, yeah, we use a little bit of Zoom. Not very tech-savvy. I need to do a better job of that. I was just curious. My preferred method is is face-to-face. And, you know, I can see what I can hear sometimes. And I think about the translation on Zoom. Maybe it's not the same. I have people I talk to all over the world now, and it's really kind of nice to see that. Of course, it makes you wonder what's behind you when you're talking to somebody. Right. Over the past three years, what belief or protocol have you established in your company that has most impacted you or the company's success? I would say probably just give first and ask second. Just give as much as possible in terms of what entrepreneurs need in terms of education, in terms of resources, ideas, how to connect with other intergenerational entrepreneurs before asking them to do things on our behalf. So I think really trying to hone in on what the community wants, what our members want by asking them. That's helped me the most to stay in touch with what they're looking for. The old ask thing. Yeah. I mean, real basic. Sorry, it's not a sexier answer. (laughs) You were talking about that on when the entrepreneurs bring a product to market. You wonder on those that aren't successful, did you ask or test your market? If somebody won't take and cut a check or charge on their card for what you're offering, the chances are you have a great idea, just not market. And, you know, I think uh, business development centers might be better served. They might better serve their members if they maybe spend a little less time on the business plan and a little bit more time on cash flow mm-hmm. uh, because... Uh, Get that MVP, get that minimal viable product, as you and I have spoken about. Get that to the marketplace as quickly as possible, as opposed to spending untold amounts of time and resources trying to perfect a plan, which once you get into the arena of the marketplace, you're going to have to adjust, adapt, and improvise immediately. Yeah, perfect gets in the way of good enough, for sure. What advice would you offer to a new founder that's assuming the role of founder for the first time in a company? Find a co-founder, either half your age or twice your age. Don't do it alone. What are the most common misconceptions about you or your role as founder of this organization? Great question. I'd say uh, misconceptions about my role that uh, I've only enjoyed success. I think maybe there, perhaps I like to project that, but I think that is probably the least appreciated perspective that I bring to the table is... Again, sorry that it's such a cliche, Bob, but we learn far more from our learning experiences than we do from our successes. While I've enjoyed some decent entrepreneurial success, what I'm most proud of is how I picked myself off the mat, uh, having been uh, smacked around a little bit by the marketplace or by founders. So I think that. Yeah, character shows up when things get challenging, usually. You know, looking back over the past few years, what would or should you have said no to and why? 
one of my uh, personality uh, traits is trying to always find a way to say yes. However, I wish I think over the last few years, not necessarily uh, in Forge in now, that I might have been more uh, selfish with my time. I think that I have a tendency of wanting to work with and help and listen and speak to anyone that is remotely interested or with whom I think we might be able to collaborate in some to-be-determined way, as opposed to perhaps evaluating the situation and saying that there's a high probability that this will not work at this time and to have been more selfish with my time. So time management. Time management. In the day-to-day operation of the company, what's your personal habit or self-talk dialogue that keeps you and the company focused? Great uh, follow-up to what I just mentioned. What is, I always ask myself, I try to ask myself repeatedly during the day, what is the best use of my time right now? Right now, what is the best use of my time? And also, secondarily, am I doing that which is important or that which is a necessity, for example, or urgent, the Covey approach, right? To do what's important, not necessarily what is urgent, answering a phone call. When the phone is ringing right in front of you, that's urgent, but there's a 90% probability that it's not going to be important. So I try to ask myself as well during the day, besides what is the best use of my time, I'm asking myself, is what I'm doing both urgent and important? And I try to ask myself that question. What am I doing that's really important for the business? For you, is there a quote that you find meaningful or that you use frequently? Oh, that's that's a no-brainer. Winston Churchill never, when asked what the greatest lesson he learned in his life, he said, that's an easy one. I can answer that in seven words. Never give up. Never, ever give up. I show up every day. You know, if you were to talk to your colleagues and they were asked what you were best at, what would they say and how do you utilize that strength on a day-to-day basis? I'd like to think that bringing, uh, you know, being all in, not being afraid of rejection and just projecting that enthusiasm for the mission, I would say that. We're in a bit of a time constraint today. You have places to be north of here and traffic being what it is. I went a little faster than normal trying to be aware of your time and schedule. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate you swinging by. And folks, if you're listening and you have an entrepreneurial bent, whether you're a boomer like me or any of the other generations, Z, X, or millennial, I would urge you to listen and reach out. And if there's not a chapter in your town, well, there's your first opportunity to get started and find people that are like-minded. So I would urge you to support this guy in his effort to change the employment picture and success in the country of small business. Thank you very much, Bob, for the opportunity to speak with your members, to be your guest, and thank you for the contribution that you make on behalf of all we business owners. Thank you. You bet. It's been fun. Thanks a lot.